Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Hello and welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation. I'm Andrew Davidson, based in New York. Today, we're going to be re-airing one of our favorite and more popular episodes all about mental health, arguably a more important topic now than when it aired a year ago. Over the last few years, mental health awareness, impact and support have become key concerns, all of which have been accelerated by the pandemic. In this episode, our good friend and former colleague, Edward Bergen, sits down with consumer and industry experts to discuss the dynamic landscape of mental health awareness. With the majority of consumers globally acknowledging that they experience stress, anxiety and burnout in their daily lives, there are unique challenges and opportunities for brands to create accessible and approachable products and solutions and play critical roles in supporting consumers' mental health journeys. If you remember this episode from last season, I'm sure you'll agree it's a good one and worth another listen. If you're discovering it for the first time, enjoy. Now over to Ed. This year and over the past year, it's been quite tough, as we know. Um, the pandemic has spotlighted our health and well-being, both the physical, um, but also uh, our mental health. And it's really come to the fore um, and consumers talking about it a lot um, through social media and with their families. Um, so we wanted to dedicate one of our podcasts to it, but we really wanted to try and understand how brands can react and how brands can help consumers with their mental health. So what we're going to do today is we've got some absolutely fabulous um, experts looking at uh, different industries, um, looking at the consumer in general, and then um, food and beauty and other industries will come into it too. Um, so I'm going to ask each of you to say hello. Uh, we've got Andrea, Andrew, and Alex, the three A's. It's good. Three A's, aces, all the nice things we can say. Um, do you want to start in that order and then introduce yourselves? Sure. Hi there. I'm Andrea Robel, and I'm Mintel's Senior Health and Wellness Analyst for U.S. Reports. Cool. And Andrew? Uh, yep. I'm uh, Andrew Madugal. I'm uh, an analyst for the beauty and personal care uh, part of Mintel's business. And I'm gutted you didn't call us the A-team. Yeah, that actually. would have been better, but then my name's Edward, so that, you know, well... I guess I'll jump in. Yeah, my name's Alex Beckett. Hi, guys. And I'm a global food and drink analyst. And yeah, looking forward to getting stuck into this huge topic. Yeah, it's a bit big. Thank you very much for joining. So to start with, as always, um, as Mintel are experts in what consumers want uh, and why, um, Andrea, can you just kick us off and just talk about mental health, why it's got um, now so much coverage in all of our industries and our media and what the consumers are saying? Sure. So the landscape of mental health awareness and action from the consumer perspective is really a dynamic space right now. When we're looking at Mintel data from the U.S., we see that nearly 70 percent of consumers have experienced a mental health condition within the past year, meaning majority of people are acknowledging that there is some strain on their mental well-being. We see that 62 percent of adults categorize their mental health as either good or very good, which indicates that it doesn't necessarily take a distress mental state for people to be aware of or take steps to manage their mental well-being. In fact, the top mental health conditions are things and emotions that I'm sure many of us can relate to, such as stress, anxiety, burnout, and mental exhaustion. 
So dealing with mental health on a more familiar scale actually inhibits a lot of people from seeking formalized treatment. But that does create a unique opportunity for both CPG brands and direct-to-consumer services to provide both accessible and approachable solutions for managing those more day-to-day emotional needs. Wow. They, I just the, the number is staggering. Um, I know we hear it a lot, but to hear 70% have, a rec- have recognized their mental health. So I'm sure there might be others in the in the remaining 30% that also haven't right. um, and may also be suffering from um, a mental health issue, but that they've recognized that they have something mm-hmm. that's affecting them. It just, it feels really big to me. Yeah, it's huge. It, it would be similarly huge across the world, I'd imagine. You know, this is one of the things about what we're experiencing with this pandemic is that everyone universally, globally, is affected. Uh, and, and not many huge events like this come along all the time, do they? You know, so, so everyone is suffering as a result of this. Um, and it's because of that, there are so many more opportunities for learnings and, and solutions, you'd hope, which I guess is what we're going to talk a bit about today. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so what we want to do is break down... Um, mental health, we're going to try to anyway and build some, I guess, some pillars of how brands can react. And then for you guys to talk about the consumer, but also um, about your industries. And we've got a sort of three pillars. Um, one of them is quite direct, which is brands can produce products that are functional to support our mental health, um, you know, new ingredients, uh, and hopefully, you know, legislation will pass that they're allowed to, you know, launch these new products. So I want to talk about those. We're then going to come on to brands spending a day in the consumer's shoes. So being more empathetic with the consumer, which is very, very difficult to do because consumers are very different. Um, And then finally, we're going to talk about how brands can help consumers feel part of something, part of a community. So I don't know who wants to start, but maybe it's a food start, but thinking about functionality of ingredients, what we put in our body or in the case of beauty on our body. Yeah. Okay. So with with functionality, functional food and drink definitely has been one of the big buzzy trends um, we've we've seen over the past few years. Definitely before the pandemic, even. I guess what we mean by functionality, it means um, enhancing the food to give you an added health boost that wouldn't have been natural in the food or drink to begin with, naturally. And this is a kind of interesting thing about thinking about functional mood boosting food and drink because food and drink is a mood boost in itself i had a spaghetti bolognese ready meal for my lunch today i felt great after it you know it's but and and of course that brings us to comfort food and yeah we've seen over the past year sales of certain comfort foods have done really well because we've wanted that that sweetness the 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 boost of that of the sugariness on our minds on our on our hormones winner but of course at the same time we've got this health awareness now we talk about functionality you can't not talk about health um and and diet consciousness as well especially as we know that dietary related diseases like obesity have been linked with um are linked with covid so functional therefore comes into this you can't carry on eating spaghetti bolognese's um, for your mental wellness, to, to, for your mental wellness su- support and to cheer yourself up. With functionality, we're seeing more food and drink products coming in with functional mood boosting ingredients or nutrients um, to kind of find that middle ground of 
this is a food drink you might normally have any anyway, but we've we've added, we've supplemented it with approved nutrients like and you have to be careful here because if you're going to make a functional mood boosting claim or mental wellness claim, you have to use an approved nutrient, especially here in Europe where we've got European Food Safety Authority being quite strict about this sort of thing, rightfully so. So, yeah, with functionality, we've seen products coming through with magnesium added, known as the mindfulness mineral. Um, we all know about ingredients and flavors like chamomile, lavender, more traditionally associated with calming. Um, but at the same time, you know, considering we've been going through this pandemic for over a, for a year now, we haven't seen a massive spike in launches of food and drink with stress, de-stressing or sleep enhancing or relaxing claims on the packaging. Um, why? Well, I guess because, first of all, as I said, you know, it's very difficult to make these kind of claims. Um, you have to without appearing as misleading consumers, especially at this time. Um, and also with manu from a manufacturer perspective, do they really want to focus on, an, on such a niche need state? So yeah, we have seen products come through to the market, functional food and drink. I work a lot with functional drinks. There is the consumer demand for these, but there's still hesitancy and caution about the efficacy of these functional benefits as well. People want to believe that they'll, they'll improve their, their mood, their mental wellness, but do they trust them to, to be fully effective? Not so much. There's still a job done. But they're doing it in they're doing it in like categories like tea, herbal tea. It's been, you know, consumers have for a very long time linked to having a herbal tea to calming down in the evening. And it might be the fact that it's a hot drink with flavors in, but also that's been allowed for a long time. And there's 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 a general consumer feeling that you have a chamomile tea. It it, it helps you just to sort of chill out a bit, right? Yeah, there isn't the, the clinical scientific proof there, though. And and this is the thing, you know, it's about, like, I guess we'll come on to this later, but about offering value, value for money at this time. People, of course, like Angie has said, poor people want to be, want support and feeling calmer and de-stressing at the end of the day. Um, they want that. They need to trust, though, that what is claimed will deliver. Brands are adding generic terminology like calming, tranquility, or what have you, to packaging, to labeling. Um, not a clear and specific health claim saying this will calm you. We guarantee it, you know, and, and having success with that. But I think increasingly consumers are going to be scrutinizing these claims more, scrutinizing these nutrients more and wanting proof and maybe scientific and scientific proof, wanting the, the data, the, the facts of how magnesium can calm your nerves or L-theanine or, or one of these other functional calming ingredients. What is trust like, Andrea, when you're from consumers right now? Yeah, so I think that consumers are looking for support when it comes to managing their mental well-being, but it does take a level of trust, authenticity, and familiarity. When they're managing their mental health, we see that consumers are most likely to go to their friends and family even before seeking out medical attention or looking for support from products. So there has to be some sort of element where consumers feel that they can trust the products that they're putting into their body. Um, Alex, I'm curious to 
hear from your perspective. I've seen some brands taking benefits that they already are tapping into before the pandemic, um, such as benefiting the gut microbiome, for example, and showing consumers through either their social media or their campaigns, how that also can improve other areas of your health, such as focus, increased productivity, or sleep health, um, all things that contribute to having a positive mental state. So have you seen an increase in that within the food and drink space? Not as much as you'd think, really. Um, we, we have seen some some interesting brand launches where they've, they've made a really overt play for the, the calming mood. Um, probably the most notable being PepsiCo's Driftwell drink. Um, that you saw that, that in the, launched in the US in December. A sleep-enhancing water containing magnesium, L-theanine, with a lavender flavor. And the marketing's got a lovely sleepy moon on it, I believe, and some calming clouds drifting across the moon. <gasps> Oh man, I'm calming down myself. Um, and it's it's doing okay, you know. It, it's it's only launched in the US. You can bet your bottom dollar it'll probably launch globally. But it was a big moment because of what we're going through. People are anxious, and then it's a brand as big as PepsiCo is banked on this sleep enhancing drink that got loads of publicity people are a bit dubious about the flavor but uh it's the fact yeah it's using these magnesium and l-theanine and yeah there is a bit of a consumer education job still to do though sleep's been a big deal though we've had seen a lot of media stories saying that consumers have not slept well mm-hmm. this year yeah, yeah, and it's a top health priority that consumers are putting more weight on going into 2021 is how am I improving my sleep health? How am I prioritizing my sleep? Really taking those moments um, to prioritize themselves in the ways that they can right now within their homes and through their routines. I assume Andrew's doing a face mask before bedtime. We always talk about face masks whenever I see you um, to calm down. There's two types of face masks, isn't there? There's one you can actually topically apply. There's one you can wear to protect yourself and others around you. Um, but no, I think for beauty, it's definitely a case. Of, it's really interesting, actually, to hear uh, both Alex and Andrea speak about proof and things like that. Um, because in beauty, that's a big thing right now. So trust and proof and substantiation of claims is really important. Kind of, it was really important years before this pandemic. I think this pandemic is kind of made more of a focus on certain aspects of well-being. So um, we, we have data as well in, in the beauty space that shows that people do turn to beauty products, for example, to help them to relax or to help them to sleep in particular, going back to what, what we were saying before. Uh, the beauty routine as well also helps us to sort of de-stress. And again, I think stress relief and trends around that, again, were around before this pandemic. Um, it, again, it's just kind of just sort of heightened on that. Um, on sort of the functional ingredient side of things, I mean, it's really interesting to hear Alex talk about functional functionality and functional foods uh, from his industry perspective. I know that sort of EFSA and the FDA and other global regulatory bodies are very strict, particularly in food. Um, they're very strict in, in beauty as well. Um, but it's interesting to see how functional ingredients are used in beauty. So, because functional ingredients for us are essentially the ingredients that make the products work. So your detergents or your conditioning agents or your moisturizers. Um, so for us, it's a much more about substantiating other claims that we have in products. So we see ingredients such as natural ingredients have been trending, adaptogens, these sort of uh, herbal ingredients that can kind of just change um, your responses. Um, normally better when orally uh, taken rather than topically applied. But we do see those ingredients coming through in beauty as well. Um, 
And also there's, there's stuff, there's also concepts around uh, psychodermatology, which is all about this connection between the brain and your appearance. Um, so, so this connection between your physical appearance, or so your skin's appearance, or your hair's appearance, and the mental health and well-being that you have as well. So, these concepts, again, we were looking at before this pandemic, but it's definitely heightened because of that. Um, and I think that mind-body connectedness is definitely something that Andrew spoke about just then. But it's definitely something we're seeing trending more in beauty now, and a lot of beauty brands are making that connection. Um, bringing beauty and self-care routines together. Um, so I think it's really important for brands to just be genuine to make that personal connection and to appreciate authenticity in these moments as well, because as much as I talk about substantiation and trying to do as much as you can, there are also a lot of brands, um, which I will not name, but they will jump on the bandwagon yeah. and risk tokenizing a lot of these mental health claims or these well-being claims that we see being made. Um, in beauty, we see it quite a lot already. Um, so I think there, there's a real... There's a real art to how you um, sort of approach this concept, um, but it's definitely one that we need to approach um, and talk about a lot more. If you're a brand, before we go on to pillar two, just want to carry on asking you something, Andrew. If you're a beauty brand um, and you want to you want to attract a normal consumer that uses a few beauty products and that you know has a, a, a basic routine, but you also want to talk to them about their mental health. What, what advice would you give? And that's quite a big question, but and I didn't prepare you for this one, yeah. but it just feels like, how do you attract, you know, I'd call them Sally from Skipton in the north of England. I'd, I'd caution you from using the term normal in, to describe the Fair. consumer. Uh, so that, that's, that's sort of well, that's one sort of well-being thing we've noticed. Again, that's not just pandemic related, but socially rated. Again, the, the way you address people now in particular, whether that's pronouns or just in general, you have to, inclusivity is something that we have to approach because we're not, you know, we, we, we haven't made it. We probably never will in terms of, you know, oh, we know we've completed that section. But I think we do have to think more about how we speak to consumers. I think it's about... We have seen particularly younger consumers. So the Gen Z are really fascinating to, to focus on because this is sort of uh, tagged as the loneliest generation. I say that in air quotes, which is difficult to portray on a podcast. Um, but they are the loneliest generation, yet they're also the, the generation that are most open to talk about their mental health. So we've seen beauty brands in general have tapped into mental well-being quite well, again, over the years. Um, beauty brands that genuinely approach causes uh, have done very well and have done so in a very sort of sensitive way. Um, I think one beauty brand that's done really well in the last year is Rare Beauty, which is a beauty brand set up by Selena Gomez, uh, the celebrity. Um, and basically, th there's loads of celebrity brands out there, but hers is really interesting because it basically uses the beauty platform to address mental health. Um, so the, the brand's purpose itself is about supporting people on their journeys to feel more comfortable with themselves rather than talking about a beauty ideal. Um, it's all about creating this community where people can talk. It's, it's predominantly a Gen Z audience as well that it's targeted at. Um, but it's also, it talks quite heavily, which is interesting in the beauty industry, about um, the mission being to break down unrealistic standards of perfection, which in beauty, we, we, we constantly play on that, that whole sort of ethos. So it's really interesting to see how brands can approach this and basically create communities. And I think in the beauty space with social media being so available to us as well, I think it creates these these. I know we will talk about community a bit later, but it creates these areas, I think, of safety. Mm -hmm. And so I think beauty plays quite well in there, but I do think the message has to be authentic and genuine because you will be called out. Absolutely. You got straight into that, that pillar number two, the idea of being empathetic. Um, 
have consumers shifted in what they expect from brands uh, over the past, uh, um, you know, 12 months compared to before? Um, it might be a best one to ask uh, Andrea to just take just to take that one first. I would say that empathy as a theme is really important in the way that brands approach consumers right now, especially considering the impact of COVID-19 on people's values, their routines, and their shifting need states. The pandemic resulted, obviously, in a lot more people spending time within their homes, which ended up benefiting people's health. We saw that 43% of adults said being at home more often than usual helped them feel more in control of their health over the past 12 months. So the almost evolution of the home environment resulted in consumers viewing the home as this place to care for their physical well-being as well as their emotional and mental well-being. And looking ahead, I think brands can really position rituals and home routines as these core components of self-care because adults have formed a really emotional connection to their homes that's rooted in maintaining a sense of self, a sense of control. Um, So tools that either help you organize or declutter or simplify your health priorities can help adults connect well-being with at-home routines. That idea of rituals is is really interesting. Um, and it's all over the food and drink industry uh, at the moment, you know, taking a few minutes to do, whether it's scratch cooking, I think it's been the headline for us this year. But Alex, you can tell us more. Absolutely, with scratch cooking, not, uh, we've seen the ups, upsurge in um, people baking more as well, of course. We saw that the shelves, supermarkets, finding empty of flour and yeast for so many months. Um but, and, and what's really interesting is particularly younger people who are uh, data shows are most keen to improve their own cooking skills. Um, but I'd, I'd like to just quickly draw attention to alcohol, as I am wanted to do. Um, but sales of, of spirits, white spirits, dark spirits, absolutely soared. You know, you, you look at the latest sales results from Diageo, Pernod Ricard, and our data shows that, yeah, people are enjoying the, that ritualistic, very calming moment appreciating the nuanced flavors complex notes of spirits not necking a a cold lager although they are at home as well um but it's it's spirits have done dare i say obviously with the entree they've they've really had a crushing time but in terms of retail at home consumption spirits have done pretty well um, and again, particularly among younger people. So 38% of UK dark spirit drinkers, so we're talking about whiskey, rum, dark rum, claim that drinking dark spirits at home has become more appealing since the COVID-19 outbreak. And that rises to 50% of 16 to 34s. And yeah, it's because of this, their association with relaxation. That's it's massive. gigantic. You know, this is dark spirits. This isn't something hip and trendy like hard seltzers or... I don't know, oat milk or something. This is dark spirits. This is whiskey. Oat milk. Um, it's, <laughs> and it is. It's this association with relaxing, but also the uptake of cocktail making, which, again, another ritual which people have taken up. Are you relaxing Are you relaxing every night with a whiskey, Alex? As I know you're partial to one. Is that, is, is, have you found your consumption has gone up? I, do you know, Andrew, I, I, it actually has. Um, at least probably not the, the volume wise, but just a little nip, just that little moment after I've cleaned the house, the kids are in bed, 
a little dram. And I think it's important. I think that's a sorry to butt in it, but I think that's important. I think routines are good for that because, I mean, from a beauty side of things, beauty routines are really they shouldn't be underestimated. Just how important they are to sort of make you feel um, sort of that sense of normality in your day to day life, especially considering how hectic COVID's been. But I think. Yeah, routines themselves will bring, whether it is, you know, doing a beauty routine or indeed having a drink in the evening, it helps to give you that stability of your daily routine. It helps you feel a little bit more like you're in control. It also makes you focus on doing stuff as well, rather than worrying about the pandemic or worrying about sort of your health and things like that. It's actually just a nice way to stop spiraling down sort of a worry hole as well. So I think, yeah, being able to pamper yourself and do stuff like that, I think, um, yeah, routines are really important. It's like the ultimate act of kindness to sort of have a self-care routine, I think. Yeah, absolutely. But it's it's also, it comes back to empathy. Like we talk a lot about ashwagandha and and, um, other kind of wellness botanicals that are linked with calming. But at the end of the day, if we're being empathetic, you're putting yourself in the consumer's shoes. They want stuff that works. They want stuff that is going to calm them down. Alcohol. Yeah. As I just said, spirit, <laughs> spirit sales doing so well. Chocolate, ice cream sales have done really well. Chocolate. Um, keep throwing them at me. Caffeine. You know, yeah, it's got its... Uh, Coffee. It, it, caffeine. We, everyone's tired. Andrea said yeah. it. Oh, I've been and making a lot of coffee. After all, is a mood booster. Now, it's a whole other debate about whether we should be having all this stuff. It's not necessarily the healthiest. And again, that's where this permissible indulgence comes in. If we have ice cream that is high in protein and fiber, you get that treat feeling. You have that reward. But at the same time, you know what? I'm going to have a little extra bit because it's high in protein and fiber or probiotics. I think I think indulgence is important for well-being as well. Like you said, like not overindulging. We probably should promote mm. that. You shouldn't overindulge. Absolutely on not. But, but having that feeling of indulgence and pampering, I think it's really important because having sort of something like that something that makes you feel good that boosts your mood yeah i mean the cascade of chemicals in your brain that that's going to trigger and things like that again whether that's a routine or just an action that you're doing you can relax or you can find comfort or fulfillment in what you're doing Mm. so for example I, i keep mentioning beauty routines but things like having a bath for example now if you can take the time to draw a bath and sort of have that moment of getaway again that can be a really important and powerful well-being um sort of uh, action that you can take that actually is just very simple but it just has that that connection for you so i think it's really important whether it is the ingredient itself which as you say i think we need to have substantiation and proof around but also just think little actions can just be those things that just connect people um with their their, their own sort of wellness and self-care as well and i think we're tapping into a, a larger consumer trend here as well which is the need for balance right you know it's it's about these simple ways that consumers can feel like they're getting that moment of indulgence while caring for themselves in other ways so how can brands not only offer that sense of balance from the indulgence side, but perhaps it's simple ways to improve your fitness within the home or simple ways to be a little bit healthier within the home as well that people also need to get that sense of control. Which takes us into, because I think the idea of empathy and then this sort of sums it all up that, that a lot of brands have reacted to, to by helping consumers find other consumers that think like them, that are doing rituals like them, that are seeing the world like them and give them something to be part of. Um, I 
I've been playing a, a, an online mobile game for the past 12 months. That's been quite fun. Um, and I've been using something called Twitch. To, she, my wife just doesn't understand. She thinks I'm a, she genuinely thinks I'm a massive loser because I'm watching a, a gamer play the game while I'm at that moment not playing the game. She just doesn't get watching someone else play a game and why that's fun. Um, but I find it really entertaining that, that, that someone's talking about it. There's other people commenting. We have the same experiences. But that's a simple one from the gaming industry. But this idea of getting brands to your know, brands, getting consumers to feel part of it more and that they're not alone. And there must be loads of examples. So I kind of want just, you know, again, we can start with Andrea, but what, what do consumers want this? And what are we seeing? Yeah. So I think this is a little bit uh, more difficult of an area for brands because as I said before, consumers are turning to their friends and family as the top resource for mental health management. Um, brands fall much lower on the list, but that doesn't mean that brands don't have a place to play here. Um, making a safe and trustworthy dynamic a part of your mental health marketing is super important. Consumers will want to see commitment to authenticity and honesty while being relatable and approachable. Um, so it's about that language that makes discussing mental health habits and practices almost feel like a conversation between friends and family. The way I've been seeing it play out a lot is that cross-category brands are leveraging their existing communities to enter the space of mental wellness through things like partnerships. Um, one that I can think of is Nordstrom actually just um, announced a partnership with their athleisure brand, Zella, their in-house athleisure brand, partnering with uh, a brand called Dance Church to provide a series of both in-person and virtual events. And Dance Church is all about mental release, finding joy um, while getting some physical activity. So it's a great way for Nordstrom to expand their reach and connection with an existing community, but also hitting on that pillar of mental well-being. Yeah, community is a really interesting pillar, I think, in general. Um, going what Andrea said there, it's, I think, I mean, obviously, you do. You, brands would love to be seen as that sort of friend or family member to consumers, but um, as well as as you, you know, you can't force a friendship on people. So it's very interesting to see how you have to authentically introduce and play in that space. And I think. Brands do that in a number of different ways. I mean, for for example, in beauty, um, there's so many social media platforms that are great for connecting with communities. But again, not like as a brand, you shouldn't be on every single platform. Or if you are on every platform, you shouldn't. You should really be sort of prioritizing certain platforms that get your message across better. So, for example, some beauty brands work very well on Facebook, and there's a good commercial sort of development through Facebook through buying products and things like that. However, Instagram again is very much more visual, so that might be the place, particularly for younger consumers. We've seen TikTok, particularly over the last year, uh, people seeking out guidance, whether that's from a brand or from an expert, or again, whether it's from friends or family themselves, or from uh, sort of influencers they can relate to. Again, seeking out these videos to find out, okay, how do I achieve certain makeup looks or what can I do is really interesting. Uh, Clubhouse as well um, has been sort of this really fast growing uh, community, particularly in beauty. There's so many beauty communities created in Clubhouse right now um, that are openly talking about different practices as well. So finding out where and how to approach consumers, I think is half the battle. I think the gaming example you gave earlier, Ed, is really interesting because I think that's a huge market going forward for all brands to play in. Um, 
for example, Givenchy actually uh, had some of their fashion items and some of their uh, makeup items uh, used in the Animal Crossing game. So again, sort of tapping into the gaming market to actually meet consumers there. And if you think of other games such as the the 2K games, such as the, like the NBA 2K games, um, again, like apparel brands can immediately tap into that because, again, you're literally completing the game and as you're going through and getting certain achievements, you're then wanting to buy certain branded clothing. So again, tapping into that is, is another way to connect. But then going on what Andrew was saying as well, I think once you've then connected, it's then about using that platform. And I think beauty brands, I, I used the Selena Gomez example earlier, but there's so mm-hmm. many beauty brands that use their platforms to open up conversations about mental health. So talk, whether that's donating or working with uh, other organizations to talk about mental health, I think talking more openly with one another is something that we're seeing a lot more. And I think when a beauty brand is embracing mental health, as we have seen many brands do over the last few years, it then becomes this authentic cause that brings along encouragement and recognition of mental health, which is really important. It helps people to look to help themselves. It helps people to help look to help one another. And it also helps to eliminate some of the stigma that often keeps people from then asking for that help. So I think, Beauty brands and other sort of popular brands in other industries can play such an important role in not only making that connection, but then actually providing access or guidance towards certain resources or tools that can then help and encourage further. So I think, as I said, beauty, in my opinion, plays a very good space, very good uh, role in the, in the mental health space. More can be done. But I think for brands, that's the really important message is how can you communicate authentically? And then actually, how can you then use that platform to promote something much more positive? Right. I think it has to make sense with your brand as well and continue yeah. to align with the core values of the brand. For example, Lululemon, um, they started an online book club over the pandemic and you know, if they were promoting a book club that was all about historical nonfiction, it probably wouldn't make sense. But all of the books that they chose were about meditation, mindfulness, um, inspiring women, things along that nature, which really connected with their community and continued to expand this conversation about mental health and mental health awareness. Yeah, that, that kind of message is really important as well, because there's a skincare brand, Dr. Brand. And they actually, in 2015, they actually established a a foundation to raise money and develop um, sort of platforms around mental health issues such as depression and suicide prevention. And that was all created off the back of the fact that one of their founders actually committed suicide in 2015. So it's just—it's not about capitalizing on something, but it's about just the fact that you just have that connection. You you have that understanding. You have an authentic story to tell as well. I remember remember when uh, a couple of years ago when the Decium founder committed suicide as well, it then opened up, particularly on Beauty Instagram, these conversations around mental health and what people must be going through. And I think these conversations automatically happen and of course they're not situations you can force and they're not situations that by any means you should be capitalizing on but i think having that connection and being relatable is really important okay we haven't got too much time left so i'm probably keen to ask you one final funky question um we've all had a tough tough year we've all had our own little rituals and uh things that we've been doing to to get us through it and i i I invested in a very expensive nice coffee machine um for a big birthday and I've been making la- latte art all year and sending it out to 
Alex and the food and drink team is to the year to show them my pictures of hearts and tulips. Um, I'm trying to do swans. It's failing miserably and just look like upside down bottoms. Um, but we'll get there one day. So that's been very much my that ritual of manually making my coffee and then enjoying it and then making another one an hour later to get to, you know, sort of get me buzzing in the day. But you each must have a ritual. So tell us about your rituals and then we'll sign off. Uh, One thing that I've done to support my mental wellness, which is frankly a bit boring, but I've noticed that having any sort of clutter in my space and in my house, especially as everybody's working from home and, you know, we've got the dog there, um, has increased my levels of stress and anxiety. So I've invested in a few pieces um, to help me organize my space, which has made me feel a whole lot better being home all the time. Nice. Pantry building. She's awesome. Mine probably is um, of an evening, just watering plants in the garden. Um, And while I'm doing it, checking the uh, flight scanner app just to see what kind of planes are going over and where to remind myself that there is another world out there. That's niche, man. I'm pleased. Which is your favorite plane? Um, They're all wonderful and I miss them dearly. <laughs> Andrew, I've, I've, I mean, I've, I've done sort of the boring things. So things I, I read more now, and I sort of do a bit more. Like I find, particularly, I have a one-year-old, so I find when sort of seven, eight o'clock comes around, and I've, I can sort of de-stress and you know, charge down if you like from that moment. So then I will sort of read or just chat with my wife or do it. I find that's quite nice. I've also found as well that my oral care routine, because again, because I've got this, this time in the evenings, it's kind of, it's become a lot more important in my life in terms of it's like right now, not only can I, you know, rinse and then uh, sort of obviously brush your teeth, but it's like right now I'm going to have a, I have like a really intense flossing routine now which I didn't have before. Before it was just like a quick floss, blah, 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 blah. But now it's like, it's really intense flossing. Um, I'm not sure it's healthy actually to floss this much, but it, <laughs> I have found that that has been something that's become quite important to me. But again, it's something that makes me feel good because it's like, oh, I never had the time to do this before. Um, I find that with face masks as well, actually. It's just kind of, you can you can find the time to use products maybe. that <laughs> Like when we go back out there and I'm back out, you know, seeing people and doing other things, maybe I'll have less time to to take this. So, uh, yeah, I found that's been really important. Have you found that with the result, as a result of all this flossing and face masking, you've just spent longer in the bathroom of an evening? Uh, I've found that uh, I've built up a resistance to bleeding gums now, which when you first start flossing is horrific and is like a horror movie. So that's fun. Um, I, don't know, I don't know if I have actually found any benefits or any, I don't, I don't know. I guess the knock-on effects will be when I get back out in the real world. So when I, when I see you uh, in a couple of weeks, Alex, mm. um, we will, you can then, you can see me and you can tell me then if there's been any benefit to anything I've done. Um, I think your teeth look lovely, Andrew. Thank you very much. A ring light helps with that as well, but um, I will be scrutinizing your gums. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we've got to finish, which is a shame because we can talk about um, what brands can do about mental health um, you know, for hours. Um, We've talked about functionality of ingredients, about empathy and spending a day in the consumer's shoes, about building communities and getting consumers talking um, and communicating with them on the platforms that they actually live on. Um, So you're talking their language, which is incredibly important. Um, But firstly, thank you to you guys for joining. Um, And then thank you for listening. 
There you have it. As Ed mentioned, the insights and recommendations shared around functional ingredients, creating moments of empathy, and building communities for consumers are incredibly relevant and actionable for brands today. We also discussed this topic specifically as it relates to Generation Z in episode 101, so I encourage you to listen to that. Thank you for listening. The conversation doesn't end here. Head over to Mintel's LinkedIn and Instagram and let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your thoughts on how brands can better engage with consumers on mental wellness issues. If you want to know more about Mintel, who we are and what we do, head over to Mintel.com. Check out our blog for even more insights from our analysts and sign up to become a member of the free Mintel Spotlight community. Goodbye for now and we'll catch you next time for a brand new episode of Mintel's Little Conversation. Little Conversation.